You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from a special guest speaker. Hello. Hello. I'm a vicar from London. Um, Has anyone ever been to London? Oh, yes. Come back. Come back and see us. My, my tiny little church, would you believe, is 300 years old, and it's right by the British Museum, so do come and, and visit sometime. I'm excited to be in LA. I've never been, I used to run a church in, uh, just outside DC, and uh, then I went back to, to London. I've never been in this part of the world this close to Christmas, so I thought, you know how speakers often start a talk with a joke? I thought I'd do a joke, and I thought I'd do a joke that combined Christmas and Hollywood. It's kind of a, well, you'll see. So Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are locked in a bitter lightsaber battle. They're really going for it. And Darth, halfway through, says to Luke, you've probably heard this. Have you heard this? Do you know this one? He says to Luke, Luke, I I know what you're getting for Christmas. And Luke's like, How? And Darth says, I've been feeling your presence for some time. (laughs) Thank you. This this doesn't get a lot better. Okay. Um, So I've got a confession. I was a bit grumpy uh, at the beginning of November. I was a bit grumpy. Uh, It happened about the 2nd of November. Um, it wasn't a problem except that I was very grumpy when everyone else was very happy. None of you would understand that because none of you have ever been grumpy because you're from California. <laughs> um, if you've been to London, you might have gone to a place called Covent Garden. Uh, it's the beautiful old um, sort of fruit, veg and flower market there. And I was there for, to meet uh, someone and, uh, and I was in a good mood until I saw it. It was the 2nd of November. This massive, humongous Christmas tree, all lit up, all ready to go. People standing in front, smiling, selfies, all of that. And uh, I stood there for ages. I just was staring at it and then thinking, it's the 2nd of November. We've just had... Halloween, and now we've got a massive Christmas tree, and I'm grumpy. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I'm not honestly the Grinch. I love Christmas as much as the next person. But I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, it just starts a little bit too early. You have Thanksgiving as a buffer. We don't have Thanksgiving. Someone once said to me, do you have Thanksgiving in England? I said, no. Actually, we do. Uh, We're just thankful for getting rid of you lot. Um, it's, not, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. We don't have Thanksgiving, we do have Black Friday, so thanks for that. Um, here's the thing, one of the casualties of Christmas starting so early is that I think it means that we fail to appreciate the powerful layered meaning of Advent. That's the subject of my talk today, Advent, perception, patience, Paradox. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Advent marks the closing of the circle at the end of last year's 
church calendar. And the beginning of the next. It's kind of this interesting overlap. But the danger is we miss that first bit, that closing of the circle in all of our eggnog-soaked excitement and unfettered anticipation of Christmas. A long time ago, I, I can say that because I'm now very old, I used to think that Advent was just about waiting for Christmas. The birth of Christ, the first coming of Christ. But actually, Advent is about waiting for the return of Christ as well. The second coming, the end of days, all of us, before the judgment seat of God. The realization of the reality that we see of everything that's there in Revelation. But we so easily lose sight of this closing moment of the, of the church calendar, and so we misunderstand, and we miss the message of this precious and necessary season. I was living in Cambridge 20 years ago doing my theology to get my little piece of white plastic around my neck. Um, and I knew that I had to go to King's College carol service, world famous, like the finest carol service in the world. I'd never get a ticket, would I? Got a ticket, couldn't believe it. Went in, sat down, stood up to sing. Hmm, don't recognize that one. Sat down, stood up to sing. Hmm, don't recognize that one. Sat down, didn't recognize a single carol at the King's College carol service. Scratching my head until I realized it was the Advent carol service. There's such a thing as Advent carols, and none of us have ever heard of them. <laughs> I didn't recognize a single thing. Such disappointment. I've never forgotten it. And the other thing I've never forgotten from that experience is that it taught me that we know everything about Christmas, but we know so little about Advent. And we fast forward to our peril. Advent is a season of preparation Yes, preparation of the commemoration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas, but also preparation of our hearts and our minds in expectation of the return of Christ in the second coming. So for our scripture reading today, let's look at one of the most traditional Advent texts. You'll be pleased to know there's a tree in it, not a Christmas tree. Jesus in Luke 21 tells the disciples to be alert, to be watchful, to be ready, for there will be an end of days. Let's read this. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. 
and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Lord, I pray that for every one of us in this room. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw close to us now. Teach us, even as you spoke to the disciples. Speak to each of our hearts today. In your name, amen. I first learned to ride a motorcycle when I lived here in Washington, D.C. in 2017. Then I moved back to England in 2019. And when you return to the U.K., you're allowed a few months to ride a motorbike on your American license. But then you have to redo all of the tests in England. And it's a really high bar over there. I'm not saying anything about the American test. You have to take, you have to take four tests in all of different kinds. And in the meantime, you have to put massive, great big L plates. It's basically like having a D on your hat, you know, for dunce in the corner. And you ride around on a much smaller bike with a big learner plate. It's all very humbling. <laughs> the whole process, elongated by the COVID effect, has taken the best part of two years for me. And I'm proud to tell you that I passed the final hurdle two weeks ago. Thank you very much. And this afternoon, me and my buddy Johnny are getting on Harleys and going up the Pacific Coast Highway. Yes. Total bucket list, midlife crisis, off the chain. <laughs> now, one part of the whole thing was uh, the motorcycle theory test. And uh, there's a, an image of it now of this uh, one of the, there was 14 different hazard perception videos. This is just one of them. And basically, the idea is uh, you, you have to see a possible problem and then click with the mouse. But you have to click at a certain time. The idea is when you've seen a threat, you're then timed on how quickly you respond. Now, here's the thing. This is all very new. They didn't have this when I learned to drive a car back in the 18th century. Uh, they, <laughs> largely because they didn't have computers, so they didn't have this sort of thing. Apparently, when seasoned driving instructors, mature people like myself, go back and take this test today, they 50% fail. And they fail because, like I did, I had to redo the test, uh, uh, for uh, two reasons. And as I sat with this scripture reading, the memory of this hazard perception test really spoke to me with this scripture. I think there's a parallel for us. Because the reason I failed was because I was both too cool, I know, I don't mean it like that, and too quick. Too cool and too quick. My first mistake was to be too cool. The videos would run. And I thought, you know, because I've been driving for centuries, oh, that's not a hazard. I can handle that. Yeah, that's not a hazard. That's not a hazard. So I didn't click. I didn't appreciate the signs of what were before me. When I should have been clicking the mouse, I was too cool. One might say, arrogant and stupid. <laughs> Fail. My other mistake was that I was too quick. In one of the 14 videos, there's not one but two serious hazards. So you get five points for each. I got zero out of a possible 10. First, there was a police car. You could see a blue light on the hill. I clicked too quick. Computer wanted me to wait to let it develop. So I saw things too early because I've been driving so long. You know that? You just read the road. But I was too quick. Fail. 
As we step into this season of Advent, as this scripture reminds us, there's a warning to read the signs and to read them correctly and respond correctly and to avoid the equal and opposite mistakes, the failure of either being too cool or too quick. Firstly, don't be too cool. Instead, develop perception. I believe it's all too easy to drift through this life as a Christian and to have a very secularized view of world events. We observe, we interpret these things as just events, rather than recognizing that there is a spiritual dimension to things. Isn't that okay? I mean, we've had the enlightenment, we've had all kinds of advances in science and philosophy, we live in a pluralist society, we live in a liberal democracy. Surely all these things that religious people call signs are just part of life. Yeah, they're difficult, they're sad, but they're not part of some spiritual battle that's going on. I wonder, could it be that scriptures like this and the season of Advent itself are a reminder to us to not be arrogant, to not constantly think we know best, that my interpretation is correct, that nothing has a spiritual dimension to it, no hazard to it. No, that's nothing to worry about, fail. If we read the Bible at all, if we teach, follow the teachings of Jesus, then we have no choice but to accept there's a whole lot of stuff going on and it has deep, spiritual meaning. Jesus himself speaks about it right here in black and white. Not only did he speak about the actuality of it, he spoke about the, the portents and, and that uh, the, 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 the would reveal that what was on its way. For the Christian, this is mostly wonderful, but it's, it has a, it has a scary edge to it, doesn't it? But it is wonderful because you've only got to open Romans 8 and see that there's nothing. All of these horrible things that could go on, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. One day, the Christian will be finally reunited with that source of pure love, the focus of their devotion. And yet some of the temporary elements that we have to live with in this world, we, they may be fearful, but the eternal result is glorious, and so the message of Advent actually paints a, a hope-filled picture for, as Jesus says, all who live on the face of the earth. Because to know Christ is available to everyone, every single person here today. You can know Christ, everyone on the face of the earth. So framed like this, we are now freed to watch and to wonder and read the signs, realistic about what's going on, but not fearful of it. We're free to develop perception. Jesus speaks in this vivid language of the apocalyptic, of revelation, extremely vivid images of heavens being shaken, the Son of Man appearing on the clouds. It's impossible not to see our present reality, when you read his words, we're only too aware, aren't we, of wars and political tumult, as Jesus puts it, distress among the nations. We're on the back end, please God, of a global pandemic. Jesus says, you'll be breathless from fear and foreboding. 
We've got unemployment, hate crimes, racist ideologies, crushing illness, terrorist threat, anything that could weigh us down, weigh down our hearts, as Jesus puts it. It all looks like it's happening. You say, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, Lord. I'm right here, I'm ready. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So this Advent, let's be real about what Jesus says is real. Don't be too cool about spiritual realities around us. Don't fail, but develop perception. But at the same time, be aware of the equal and opposite way to fail. Don't be too quick. Instead, cultivate patience. Having said that we must be realistic about what we see happening around us, that there is most definitely a spiritual dimension to what we read in the papers, we must also be incredibly careful to not see every single event as, as deeply prophetic, highly portentous. Christians can, be, can so easily click the mouse, as it were. We can be so quick to, to, to click on what we think is a hazard and to say what we think about it. How many times have you seen people jumping the gun, as it were, and, and declaring the spiritual nature of some event or another? I can safely say that I have never taken to the Twitter sphere to say, well, this means that, and that means this, because that's happened because it's a direct fulfillment of some spurious scripture buried deep in the pages of the Bible. And because of that, I've no doubt disappointed some people because I'm maybe not seen as a strong leader because I haven't taken a stance. But I put a great deal of faith in an old saying that goes like this, better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) We know that phrase, discretion is the better part of valor. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I believe that patience is one of the most delightful of the spiritual fruits and one of the most underrated. In all matters of eschatology, the theology of death, judgment, the end of things. Surely patience is to be nurtured. The vicarage of St. George the Martyr Queen Square, also known as my house, is right across the road from the Charles Dickens Museum in Bloomsbury, London. The great man used to live across the road. And by all accounts, his publisher lived in my house. He's not there anymore, I checked. Now, in the, walled, in the walled garden of said vicarage, there's a very large fig tree. And because of the drought this year, this is an aside, the figs are perfect for making chili fig jam. So I just thought I'd tell you that. Put all of this together, and you will understand my interest in the fact that Dickens is said to have said, train up a fig tree in the way it should go, and when you are old, sit under the shade of it. Apparently this phrase has been adopted by nurseries and greenhouses and landscapers and environmental movements. It's been employed as an exhortation to patience, to prudence and planning and patience and letting things develop. At the center of our reading from Luke is a parable of the fig tree. And this parable is not probably what we think of when we hear the word parable. This isn't really a story 
There's no little old lady searching for wayward coins, no errant sons or stupid servants or savvy stewards. There, there, there isn't a point where the reader is caught at the end by Jesus with that trademark truth hidden in the palm of his hand that he just pops out. This parable is really more of an observation, it's a warning. It heralds the coming of the Son of Man, calling the listener to have eyes to see the signs and the good news, the good sense to be ready. Like we've just seen, Jesus tells us that there are signs that indicate the arrival, the advent, the presence, the power of the kingdom of God. But the thing is, of course, a fig tree takes years and years to grow. It doesn't just appear. You need patience to see it grow and come to fruition. Patience in this life is often key issue for us as well. Patience in the face of promises yet to be kept. Patience in the face of enduring illness, broken relationships. Patience in the face of unrealized expectations, unfulfilled hope. Patience after all patience has run out. Hold and be held. Stand firm, stand fast, hold your ground. Like me at that hazard video screen, don't be so quick to judge. Let the scene develop, give it time. Don't be quick to jump to conclusions. Instead, rest back in the fact that the past points to the future. What do I mean by that? Yes, God is doing a new thing but he's doing that new thing again. I wonder, why include this parable of the fig tree and all the trees? Surely it suggests that the past can help make sense of the future. When buds begin to form on barren trees, we're confident that winter is ending and summer will arrive. Why? Because we've previously lived through that experience of the change of seasons. Hold, wait. This truth has been incredibly important for me in the last few months. Last time I was here, um, earlier this year, I told you that my marriage ended officially in February after 24 years. I still cannot describe to you the difficulty of that, the confusion, the sadness. But I have to say the deepest source of hope and comfort for me has come from knowing the security of God's love throughout holding firm and being held. Just letting it, letting it play out. I hate it, but I know I'm held. And, and so for each of us, even as things are changing around us all the time, so fast, it could be really destabilizing. I wanted to say today, in all the things that we don't know in life, you can trust God. Trust him, rest back into those tried and true rhythms of grace. Advent, developing perception, cultivating patience, and thirdly, accepting paradox. Accepting paradox. I've just completed two years of paradox, motorcycle paradox, which I was thinking, sounds like a band name, doesn't it, or an album? Motorcycle paradox. <laughs> I can ride, 
And I could ride a big motorcycle, but when I returned to live in England, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed, so I was stuck. I could ride, but I couldn't ride. The paradox was frustrating and uncomfortable. Advent is wonderful, but it shows us that life can be frustrating and uncomfortable. It's a season of paradox. It's now and not yet. It's fulfillment and it's yearning. It's end and it's beginning. It's darkness and it's light. It's warning and it is wonder. Here we are anticipating the most wonderful time of the year. The scriptures, though, are pointing us today to the people walking in darkness. References to crises of persecution and famine and war and judgment and terrors. All the signs of the end of times. It's all very odd. We don't want to be talking about this today, do we? All the notices have just been about Christmas extravaganza. We've got these lovely trees up. Why are we talking about this? It's very odd. Instead, we have Advent with its focus on the end of days. It could be rather scary. Life can be scary. Just ask these little school children. <laughs> I found this online. These are their answers about what scares them most from a school display on Halloween. Paul, what scares you the most, Paul? Werewolves. <laughs> Nina, what scares you the most? Sharks. Fair enough, you think. What about this next one? Dylan, what scares you the most? He said, the unstoppable marching of time that is slowly guiding us all towards an inevitable death. I think someone probably called Dylan's parents after he... <laughs> but my favourite is the next one. Catherine, what scares you the most? She simply said, <laughs> Dylan. He scares me the most. <laughs> what life can be scary. What Jesus is saying here is really quite scary, isn't it? And to focus on such scriptures seems paradoxical as we prepare for Christmas, but there's deep truth for us here. One dictionary defines paradox as, quote, a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. Keeping space for paradox is difficult. In a world where so much lobbying, campaigning, and demonstrating is based on either or logic, you're either with us or you're against us. But of course, we have to accept that the gospel itself is jam-packed full of paradox. Jesus, all, all the way through Luke, there's the infant Jesus, baby born in a manger. He's the savior, Christ the Lord, infant and savior. Luke 17, Jesus teaches about losing your life and keeping it. He says to the disciples that he's come to bring both division and peace, Jesus' crucifixion, death, leading to life. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. Returning to Luke 21, we find paradox in that there's both suffering and comfort. And so as we start buying all the Christmas gifts, let's remember that Advent itself is a gift. It's the ultimate season of waiting in unfulfilled expectation. 
And so it is the deepest encouragement that it's okay for you and me to live in a place of tension in our faith in Christ. It reminds us that it's not just about partying our socks off at Christmas, offering to the world nothing but good news. Advent is the reminder that we have to be so careful in over-promising completion, perfection, full healing to a broken and hurting world. Advent's paradox anchors our Christmas success. It reminds us that what's at stake is not just another annual celebration and making Christmas memories with friends and family. What's at stake is the coming of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus reminds us is both already here but not yet here. Advent is the ultimate anticipation of that future perfection that started in a very imperfect stable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I know this will not come as news to anyone in this room. You are not perfect. This life is not perfect but something greater is coming. And you and I get to walk with a perfect savior until it does. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth as we celebrate at Christmas time. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for promising that you will come again. And Lord, we thank you that you are here right now. And Lord, we open up our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never said to Jesus Christ, would your love and your truth fill my heart right now? What a wonderful opportunity this is, this Advent time, as we prepare for Christmas to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my savior. In all of the imperfection of this life, Lord, we thank you for your perfection. In all the struggle and strife, the pain and disappointment, we thank you that we can rest and be held by you.
just in the silence of this moment. This is a holy moment as we pray individually. Just say whatever you need to say to Jesus as he stands before you today. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.